Well, good morning. It is so good to see you. If you are new, my name is Tim. I am the pastor here. And uh, we say it this way. If you are new at our church, we say that we are imperfect people who have been moved by the perfect love of Jesus. And you're part of that. Even just sitting where you are, participating in this service, you're experiencing the love of Jesus Christ, the perfect love of Jesus Christ, right where you sit this morning. So we're thankful that you are here for that. Uh, as we worship and now continue to worship through the proclamation of God's word, today is a little bit different. Uh, one is I'm not always wearing this uh, bright blue PBC Kids shirt. Uh, I don't always dress like that, but today I am because I'm teaching. Uh, after I uh, jump off the stage, I'm going to go teach and preach to the little kids and make little disciples over there and teach them about Jesus. As in this room, uh, you get to hear from one of our other elders, our other pastors, uh, and, and hear him preach the word to you. And that's today is going to be Brad Hart. Uh, yeah, you can give it up for Brad. Go ahead and give him a clap. Uh, over the last couple Sundays, I hope you've been blessed by this. If you haven't, go back and listen on the podcast, website, Facebook Live. It's, it's all there for you. But the first week we had Bradley Hyde, one of our other elders and pastors, preaching through this Gospel of Mark, Who Do You Say That I Am series. Did a phenomenal job. Can you give it up for Bradley Hyde if you weren't here? Did a great job just pointing us to Jesus a couple weeks ago. Last week, Graham Saunders, keep the claps going. Uh, grab, Graham Saunders got to preach to us and talk about the greatest commandment, loving God, loving neighbor. Today, we get to hear from Brad Hart. Now, uh, I love that these guys are getting to preach to you for several reasons. One is it allows me to do things like preaching PBC Kids, which I never get to do. Uh, it also allows you to get to know our elder team. I'm not the only pastor at this church. And, and as a team of elders, we, we plan, we strategize, we pray, we, we preach all to care for you, equip you to grow in Christ. And so as you get to hear these guys preach the word of God, they've prepared, they've prayed up uh, over the last several months to do this, you're getting to hear their heart. And as they shepherd you during the week, you're going to hear their heart from stage. And if you don't know these guys, come up, shake their hand, ask them how they're doing, ask them uh, where they live in Phoenix, build a relationship with them. That will help them shepherd and equip you. So I'm so excited for that reason. Also, we're, we're preparing a series for the fall on marriage and relationships, which is going to be 10 weeks long, cover everything from sex to friendship to parenting to singlehood to dating. And so I'm getting to prepare for that right now as these guys preach. So, so thankful for them, thankful for our, our pastors and our elders of this church. So glad that you get to hear from them. Brad Hart specifically has been in our church almost since the very beginning and has served in lots of ways. Specifically right now, he oversees our host teams. So coffee, greeting, set up, tear down, all that stuff. We love people before we even get into this room. Brad oversees that, does a fantastic job. Love his heart for you and excited to hear him preach. But before we get there, it's a full day. We got a lot going on, right? So we, we have a special uh, introduction to make, and I need to preface it with a couple things, especially if you are new. Uh, we're a church that's four and a half years old, and uh, we're a growing church, as you can see, if you just look around you. And as we've grown, we, we've been praying, and we need, we have a, an amazing part-time staff in addition to me. We have elders that are lay elders, and it's all fantastic. But we, we were praying, God, we need somebody else to come along and give 40 to 50 hours of their week to care for the people we have, and equip you to go reach the people we, we don't have that aren't in the kingdom of God yet. And so we've been praying for that for a long time. 
Uh, and we believe by God's grace, and we shared this at our membership meeting a few weeks ago, that we found the guy who, who can fill in that role and, and step into what God has for us in this next season at Phoenix Bible Church. And so we've gone through interviews and a lot of prayer and assessments with this guy's whole family. We've presented it to our, our members and looped them in on the conversation and gotten feedback. He's been here for the last two months, and so some of you are starting to realize who this might be. And so we've just been really thorough. We want this next person who comes on staff to, to care for the people we have and equip the people uh, we don't have and reach them. And so, so excited today to formally introduce this guy to you. So his role will be director of ministry and worship. So he's going to do things across our ministries, next-gen ministries, greeting, like just everything we do as a church on a Sunday during the week. He's going to help with those things. And specifically, he's also going to lead worship. And so I'm excited to introduce to you and McLean family. You guys can come up and you guys clap for them this special day. Kyle and Layla McLean. Amen. We're so excited to have you guys. This is Kyle and his wife, Layla. This is Ollie. Addie is in kids ministry or back there. Okay. And we're so excited. We've just gotten to know these guys over the last couple of months. You've gotten to know them a little bit just from stage and maybe just talking after church. And uh, I want them to just introduce themselves a little bit more to you so you can get to know them better. Yeah. Hey, everyone. I'm Kyle, and this is Layla. This is Oliver. Um, Addie just loves kids ministry here so much that she didn't want to leave. So she's over there right now. She's going to be hearing from Pastor Tim in just a few minutes. And so uh, we're just so excited to be on board with you guys. We love this church. We've been here since May 5th, uh, just kind of sneaking around, checking it out. And uh, we love the people of the church first and foremost. Everything that is ahead of us is just so exciting. Um, this is a really dear place to my heart. My dad actually grew up in this neighborhood. Um, he's here today, which is really cool. So he gets to come back after 30-something years to a place that he also attended elementary school uh, upstairs in the back of this building. And so it's kind of a full circle moment for our family to come back to where my dad first heard the gospel proclaimed, and now we get to come and hopefully see more and more lives changed uh, by the gospel. So it's just a really, really exciting day for us, yeah. Well, we're so excited, and especially excited for this role, Director of Ministry and Worship, which encompasses a lot. I've gotten to hear your heart. I've gotten to hear even Layla's heart over the last couple of months. I'd love for them to hear your heart. What's your heart for this role, our church? Just share a little bit about that. Yeah, I think it just boils down to people and Jesus, right? Not in that order, probably. I'd, I'd put Jesus maybe first, but uh, I love the mission of our church, right? And that's been, we've been changing the way that we say it from this church to our church. And that's been a process for us this week, but um, this is our church and this is our family and everyone who we don't know yet, you're our family. We're excited to get lunch with you, dinner with you soon and get to know you more. Um, but my passion is to see uh, people just discipled. And what that means is we're going to see a lot of new leaders rising up, um, taking charge of their areas of their life and serving God's kingdom here at PBC and then, you know, even further into the ends of the earth. And we're just going to see such a cool thing happen. Um, but I want to see people who don't even know uh, that they have that ability, bring it out of them. And let's see even more lives impacted for the gospel. So I'm excited. Layla's really excited. Do you want to say anything? <laughs> All right. Layla's awesome. She has an amazing gift of hospitality. So um, anytime you're over at our house, you will be blessed by her and her spiritual gifting and 
Ollie's been spitting up all over back there, so we'll probably have to clean the carpet soon, but he's great. He's two months old. Addie's three, and if you meet her, um, she is the entire joy of our family, is encompassing that little three-year-old. Um, she's my favorite person, and I'm sure when you get to meet her, you will also love her as well. So, yeah. Yeah. Awesome. We love you guys. We're so excited for this journey ahead, and we want to pray for you. So I'm going to invite our elders up now, if you guys would come and, and pray over these guys as they step into this. And I would invite you to pray with us. Uh, alongside us. If you'd like to, you can lift your hand out just as a sign, a symbol of support for this couple. You can do that now. You can lift your hand out to pray for them as we pray over them together. Uh, they're going to be back at the those back two tables right after the service. We have some cookies, light reception. So, so go by, greet them. Let them know you're glad they're here and continue to pray for this couple in our church as we move forward. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for this family. Uh, thank you for Kyle, Layla, Ollie, and Addie. God, we, we pray your blessing over their family. God, we pray not just uh, that they would be effective and impactful in our church and in the kingdom, they would be effective and impactful in their home with their neighbors and with their kids. God, as we, as we talk about making disciples of Jesus and the love of Jesus moving in and through and around us, that starts with our closest neighbor, our closest spouse, and, and our kids, and our neighbors, and our friends, and then it moves out into your church. And so I pray, first of all, just your blessing over their family. I pray that, that Kyle serving in this role, he would get more of Jesus than he could ever have without this role. As he extends your grace, that he would embrace more of your grace personally. God, as he proclaims you to others, that he would get more of you himself. God, I pray that uh, as he leads worship and music, God, as he raises up leaders in that realm, as he equips our other amazing leaders in kids ministry and, and greeting and youth ministry and uh, events that we put on and, and all of those things, God, that they would, they would feel the power of Jesus, not the power of Kyle, that, that your power is perfected in his weakness. And God, I pray that our leaders, our church would, would feel that. God, is. Uh, as today is exciting and, and, and we know you're on the move, we pray that you would continue to show us that you're on the move and show us your power and it would be seen in lives changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. God, we're, we're, we're so amazed that you let us be a part of your mission on this earth, that we get to impact lives for eternity and see people go from death to life, from hell to heaven. And God, we pray we would get to see more, 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 more of that. These baptism waters would be filled consistently because of the work you're doing through the McLean family, through us, through our entire church family in Central Phoenix. God, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you for your love for the McLeans, and we pray your blessing upon this next season in the life of Phoenix Bible Church. We pray all this in the name of Jesus, and everybody said, amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. Would you clap for them one more time? Well, good morning. That's usually, uh, usually there's a response that comes along with that, so we'll try that again. I know it's hot in here. I've never been to like a southeastern like tent revival, but I would imagine if I did, it would probably feel like this in here. I promise the air is on. I see you all like fanning yourself. Um, that was a terrible joke. I got one laugh, so I appreciate that for whoever did that. Thank you, BJ. I appreciate you. Well, we are, uh, we are so excited for Kyle and his wife and um, Allie and Ollie and just for them getting to be officially welcomed into our church. They've been a part of our church 
uh, for the last two months. And so uh, it is so great that we get to officially welcome them and just celebrate Kyle and pray over him as he enters into this new role uh, at our church on staff. Well, again, my name is Brad and I'm one of the elders here. And it is, it is an honor and a privilege to be up here preaching this morning. Uh, but I have to tell you, it is an even greater honor and a privilege to be uh, serving in this current role as elder. And I'm sure uh, BJ and Graham, wherever Graham is, I'm sure these guys can agree with me, but in such a short period of time that this has proven to be one of the great blessings in our life. Um, my wife and I and our two kids, Landon and Charlotte, um, we absolutely love this church and we love the people here. And so it is truly our joy. Well, we are continuing into our uh, sermon series of Mark and we've been uh, kind of traversing through Mark since October. It's been, it's been a while, uh, but today we are finishing up Mark 12. And so at the point uh, that we're in, we are at uh, the point of Jesus's earthly ministry known as uh, Passion Week. And Passion Week is that time that marks, uh, that starts with Jesus's triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And we, today we celebrate that as Palm Sunday and it ends with his resurrection. Uh, we celebrate that as Easter Sunday. And so that is where we're at today. We are in the day of questions, which is Tuesday of Passion Week. It's known as the day of questions because all day long that there is an onslaught of questions to Jesus by the religious leaders. And they're questioning him in order to trap him and to trick him, ultimately to, that they could get him to say something that they would use to uh, publicly discredit his ministry, call him a blasphemer, or even worse, label him as a criminal because he's there to overthrow the Romans, and then they would put him before the Romans and they would crucify, which ultimately is what happens, but, but they had murder and hatred in their hearts towards Jesus. And so the day of questions kind of started out, the, the scribes and the Pharisees came to Jesus, and they had this one question, which was kind of the theme of the entire day, and they said, Jesus, by what authority do you do these things? What authority do you have? They were questioning his very, very identity. And three weeks ago, Pastor Tim walked us through and introduced us to the Pharisees and the Herodians and who they were. Uh, and their question on taxes, should we pay taxes or should we not pay taxes, Jesus? Do we, do we honor Rome or do we not? And then two weeks ago, BJ uh, introduced us to the Sadducees and their question uh, on marriage and the resurrection. And speaking of a woman who had had multiple husbands over the course of their life, and they had sequentially died, and when she died, they said, well, whose husband would she be in the resurrection? And by the way, that was from a group of people who did not even believe in a resurrection, furthering the point that they were there to trap him. And then last week, uh, we see the scribes enter the scene, and Graham walks us through their question on what is the greatest commandment. There are 613 commandments in the Old Testament, and they say, Jesus, which one of these is the greatest? And he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That all of these commandments ride and rest on these two. And so turn with me in Mark 12 if you still have your Bible out. Uh, if not, make sure you grab that. Uh, by the way, we have Bibles in the lobby. I think Tim mentioned that. Um, if you don't have one, we would love for you to grab them. We want you to have the precious word of God with you so that you can study. And so Mark chapter 12, starting in verse 35. It says this, as Jesus taught in the temple, he said, how can the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? David himself in the Holy Spirit declared, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord, so how is he his son? 
and the great throng heard him gladly. And so what we see here now is kind of a turn of the tide. We see uh, Jesus flip the script. He turns the table, and they have been asking questions of him all day long. Now, Jesus says, now I'm going to ask you a question. You religious leaders, you've been asking me questions all day long. I'm going to ask you a question. And he directs his question to the scribes. So who are the scribes? The scribes are kind of like lawyers of the day. Now, they're not lawyers in the sense that we understand them here today in our society, uh, but they were the copyists of the law, that they would meticulously and detail, with detail copy uh, the Mosaic law and the entirety of the Old Testament uh, over and over and over again. They were considered the interpretive experts of the law and that uh, they were kind of the spiritual power behind the Pharisees. And so when issues would arise, if it came to civil issues or moral and, and spiritual issues uh, or even ceremonial issues, that they would look to the scribes for the correct interpretation. These are who Jesus is questioning. Notice that when Jesus addresses them, uh, look, at, look at the interrogative word he uses at the beginning of his question. He asks how. He says, how do the scribes say? He doesn't ask why. Why do the scribes say? Now, the reason why he does that is because the scribes aren't entirely incorrect on their view of the Messiah and who the Messiah is. They were only correct to a point. And Jewish belief then and even today believes that the Messiah, that the Christ would be a man, a descendant of David, that he would be a great man, he would be an influential man, he would be a powerful man, but he would be only a man. And that is, that is the issue that Jesus sees here. That is the issue that Jesus has and why he's asking them. He's essentially asking, how, how do you come up with this, that Jesus or that the Christ is David's son and David's Lord? How do you put these two things together? It's, it's, it's not here. So he gives them almost, uh, gives them the uh, source of the answer to his question. And I love how Jesus pointedly does that. And he turns them, their attention to Psalm 110, which by the way, was written a thousand years roughly before this moment in history. He points them to this Psalm. And by the way, uh, this is widely viewed both uh, by the Pharisees and the religious leaders of that day uh, and by the people then and even today uh, that Psalm 110 is known as the most messianic psalm in the entire Bible. Now, what that means is that this, this Psalm 110, in its entirety, speaks directly to the character and the nature of Christ, to the Messiah. Now, it is also interesting to know that Psalm 110 is the most quoted Old Testament text in the New Testament. In fact, Psalm 110, verse 1, is... Uh, quoted directly or referenced to at least 27 times in the New Testament. This is, this is a big deal. This is the most quoted text, Old Testament text in the New Testament. But before Jesus gets to the text, before he points their attention to Psalm 110, he makes this statement. He says, David himself in the Holy Spirit declared. You guys see that with me? Circle that in your Bible, underline it. David himself declared in the Holy Spirit what Jesus is doing to the scribes, to the Pharisees, to the people that are gathered to hear this, to us today as hearers and readers of his word, is he is affirming the dual authorship of scripture. That in the Bible, there are two authors. You have the primary author and the secondary author. The primary author being God, the Holy Spirit, and the secondary author being man. 
And this is, just, this is what Jesus is affirming to. He's reminding the scribes that these are, these are God's words, that, that David didn't write these on his own, that David wrote these with the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He says, the Lord said to my Lord, in our English language, we see the word Lord here twice. In some of your Bibles, uh, the first Lord may be uh, all capitalized, and the second Lord, maybe just the L is capitalized. But we see, we see two of the same word, but in the original Hebrew, these words are entirely different. The first Lord in the Hebrew translates to Yahweh, I am. This is the name of God. The second Lord translates to Adonai, or Sovereign One. Lord, Master, by the way, the chief title of God that we see over and over and over again in the Bible. What David is getting a glimpse of is a conversation that God, the Father, Yahweh, has with someone else. Someone else that has his title, but not just someone else. Someone that David identifies as my Lord. Somebody that he intimately recognizes and knows as his sovereign his Lord, his master. But what David is getting a glimpse of is a Trinitarian conversation between God the Father and God the Son, and the Holy Spirit is bringing David into a very privileged glimpse of this conversation. That it's not, that it's not God the Father speaking to somebody else that shares his title, but that God the Father is speaking to God the Son. One God in three persons. This is a Trinitarian conversation. This is also a scene of a coronation. We see the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand. This is a coronation of Jesus. This is a coronation of the king to the right hand of the father, the highest place of honor. It signifies co-equal rule and co-eternal rule. Look what Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 9 through 11, it says, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. Now listen, that name isn't Jesus. The name Jesus, he already had that name. That was already his name. That's not the name that, that Paul is talking about here. Continuing in verse 10, So that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That is the name above every name, that Jesus is, there it is again, Adonai, Lord, Sovereign One. And this isn't in competition with the glory of God. This isn't in contention with the glory of God. But look at the end of verse 11. What does it say there? To the glory of God of God the Father. We'll continue on with the, the second part of that first verse of Psalm 110. By the way, uh, this would be uh, a challenge to you. Now, we don't have time uh, to go through the entirety of Psalm 110. Uh, originally, I had written it out to uh, go through expositionally every single word of Psalm 110. Uh, however, some of you know me are laughing. Um, however, however, we don't have time for that. I didn't ask you guys to bring your lunch. We're not going to be here for three hours uh, so I will spare you of that. But uh, in community groups or in your personal study this week, study Psalm 110. It is dramatic. It is so vastly important. So go through that. Graham, put that in the questions this week, will you? All right. All right. 
<laughs> Thank you, man. So he says, until I put your enemies under your feet. Now, where is Jesus now? Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he is patiently and graciously calling people unto himself until the day he returns. Until the day he returns, and he will rest from the conquering of his enemies. Now, don't miss this, friends. Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back, and he will make all things new. He will make all things right. We see amazing, an amazing picture of this in Revelation 19. You don't, you don't have to turn there. You can if you want. But just, but just listen to the words that John wrote when he witnessed this in the Spirit. So I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider was called Faithful and True, and his eyes were blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. And he is dressed in a robe, dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has the name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. The name above every name. For every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. The only way for the Christ to be David's son and David's Lord, is that this Christ has to be, has to be fully God and fully man. No man can perfectly atone for the sins of the people and then be seated at the right hand of the Father with co-eternal, co-equal reign, exercising all authority over the kingdom. It has to be fully God and fully man, it cannot be just a man. It can't be. Jesus essentially says to them that you have missed the whole point. How have you come up with what you're teaching that the Christ is just a man? Where are you seeing this? God doesn't say this. In Psalm 110, it's clear. You know that this is the messianic psalm. It doesn't even say that it can't be just a man. That is essentially what Jesus is saying, that, that, that your view of God is too small. So who do you say that Jesus is? We've been asking this question the entire sermon series. In fact, it is the title of the sermon series. We see this question over and over and over again in the Gospel of Mark. Who do you say that I am? And here we see this question asked again in a different way. But we must, we have to answer that question. Who do you say that Jesus is? Is he your Lord? Is Jesus your King? Friends, there, uh, are, we, are we treasuring the, the precious word of God to fully understand who Jesus is? There is a danger when we do not sit under the word of God. When we are not in the word, when we are not diving into scripture, there, there is a danger there. And what is that danger? And we see, we see what that is, and he turns his attention to the crowd. By the way, this is the last public teaching that Jesus has in his earthly ministry. This is the last thing that Jesus has to say. Everything else from this point into his trial, death, and resurrection, Jesus only addresses privately with his disciples and once in the home of Stephen the leper and a woman who anointed him with oil. This is the last public teaching of Jesus. So he turns his attention to the crowd. 
By the way, uh, this crowd is also in the court of the Gentiles. And if you uh, look at kind of what the temple looks like and the layout of the temple, the court of the Gentiles is massive. It's the outermost court. Tens of thousands of people would gather here. And it is likely that there are tens of thousands of people there because this is also the week of Passover, one of the most celebrated holidays on the Jewish calendar. And people are coming from all over the region to the temple to see this. There is a very large crowd that is hearing Jesus say this. And pick it back up with me in Mark 12, verse 38. And in his teaching, he said, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces and have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. Jesus' warning here, he says, beware. This isn't, this isn't a passive warning. This is, this is a, a serious warning. This is not like a parent uh, who goes, uh, that's concerned for their child that, to walk outside without their shoes and play in the backyard. This is, this is not passive like that. I know in Phoenix in the summer that is like insanely dangerous to do and your kid will probably get like third degree burns under their feet, so don't do that. But aside from that, um, it's not like that, but this is like a concerned parent whom whom their child is about ready to go towards and walking towards a multi-lane high-speed interstate. And they say, watch out. This This is the seriousness of this warning. Look at some of the language that Jesus used in the parallel passage of Matthew 23. Now, in here we only have three verses, Uh, kind of explaining this warning that Jesus has. But in Matthew, we see almost an entire chapter of this warning. I'm just going to pull out a couple words. He says, Woe to you hypocrites, you blind guides. You shut out the kingdom of God from the people. You go and make proselytes, which are converts, twice as much a child of hell as you. You neglect justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You are like whitewashed tombs, appearing beautiful on the outside, but on the inside, you are dead. You serpents, you brood of vipers. These scribes were corrupt in their heart, and Jesus is unsparing in his condemnation of them. This is a strong warning. Now, there is nothing inherently wrong with going around uh, concerned with what you wear or where you sit uh, or even how long you pray. There's nothing inherently wrong with that. But Jesus here is concerned with the heart. He's concerned with the heart. The scribes were obsessed with the external appearance of religion and worship, but their hearts were completely bankrupt. They would sit in the best seats of the places of honor. They would surround themselves with the wealthy and the influential. They would do this because they relied, they made a living off of donations to them. They weren't like the Pharisees who made their living off of the temple tax. The scribes made a living off of donations. And so they would sit in places of honor to kind of elevate their posterity and how important they were. They would wear long robes to do the same thing. They would walk around and that they may be shown to others how important they are. This is all an external practice of religion. They 
they would take advantage of the vulnerable and devour widows' houses. We see that. They would do this to, in order to increase their selfish monetary gain, that they would go to a widow in her darkest hour in the time of her husband's passing, and they would promise to manage all that he has left her. They would manage uh, the property. They would manage the fields, the money, the livestock, whatever, you name it, whatever they had, whatever their husband left to her, they would take advantage of it, and then right under her nose, she would lose everything to the evil schemes and the deception of these scribes. This is who Jesus is warning us from. This is who Jesus is talking to. What's worse is that these scribes were appointed as religious rulers, and they had corrupted the very word of God. Their job was to practice and protect the word of God. And the issue is, and this is the issue that Jesus has with them. Now, the Bible does say that we are to practice our righteousness, right? But here's what Jesus says about practicing our righteousness. Matthew 6, beware of practicing your righteousness. There it is again, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Think about this. Jesus is not saying to not practice righteousness or the outward forms of righteousness. But Jesus is saying, don't parade it around to be known by people, to be shown by people, to be noticed by people. That is externalism. That externalism is a reflection of the internal. In fact, we're told to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. John writes in 1 John 3, by this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Friends, this is not just an issue of then, but this is also an issue of today. That this warning from Jesus is to beware of these false teachers, that they are, they are not so easily spotted, that they are on the outside sheep, but on the inside they are ravenous wolves. John writes again later in 1 John, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. There are heresies from religions that claim to be Christian, but are far from it. Those that completely alter the word of God, they add to it, or they blatantly just say, that the word of God, the actual word of God, is incorrect and untrustworthy. These are religions that claim to be Christian. We have well-known so-called Bible teachers that go about and blatantly deny the resurrection and even the virgin birth. Some others falsely claim that they directly speak on behalf of God as special prophets. The author of one of the most best-selling uh, and popular Christian books in the last decade claims that the Bible is insufficient for relationship with Jesus and that somehow their writings have special revelation and are the direct words of Jesus to them. The Bible is insufficient for them. This, this is the most popular and best-selling Christian book of the last decade. Some will say that the ultimate goal of every believer is to live their best life now. And in order to do that, they must dream up God's blessing in their mind. And if they conceive it in their heart and they believe it, God's going to make it happen. Friends, if that is true, if this life is the best life that we have, heaven must be a miserable place. This is not the best. 
You have some that claim to tend to the souls of others, but the whole time feed their own lust and domineer over them in abusive and aggressive ways. One such pastor arrogantly calls the early church fathers and well-respected champions of the faith little boys with daddy issues and to not listen to their garbage and that somehow his teaching is more prominent than centuries of multiple teachers and faithful men of God combined. Finally, you have those that abuse the faith to bring monetary wealth. I read of a televangelist who asked his congregation to pull a line of credit in the thousands and that if they would just pull that line of credit, give it to his ministry, that he would promise that God, he would promise to them that God would bless them in the millions. That is not the gospel. Second Peter 2 says, but false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who brought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction, and many will follow in their sensuality. And because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed, and in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. We have to beware. Now, some of you are probably worried like, oh my gosh, I have to worry about every single person out there that is teaching, right? We have to be aware, but, but it's simply put, and this is Jesus' point. When we see these people, it is easy to identify them because they are elevating themselves before they elevate Jesus. When you walk out of the room and all you see is them and all you hear of is them, and you don't walk out of the room with a real picture of Jesus, the same Jesus that we see in scripture, the same Jesus that is now seated on the throne, reigning and ruling with all sovereignty. When we walk away and that Jesus isn't even mentioned and their message is mentioned, that is an issue. That is the issue that Jesus has. So Jesus warns them. And then he changes the tone of his voice. And now we start seeing the, the compassionate and gracious and loving voice of Jesus. So we go from condemnation to commendation. So pick it up with me in Mark 12, starting at verse 41. And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums, and a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all of those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty, put in everything she had, all she had to live on. Jesus now moves from the court of the Gentiles to the court of the women where the treasury was located. And just outside the treasury along the walls in the court of the women, there would be 13 shofar-like receptacles. A shofar is like a ram's horn, uh, but they, were just, they would just look like that. They weren't actually a ram's horn. They're, they wouldn't be big enough. But that is, that is essentially what it is, that these 13 receptacles would be placed along the wall so people could just almost just go and just toss their, toin, their coins into the offering box. They were very receptive at the top. They were wide at the top and narrow at the bottom. They could just walk by and toss their coins in. You can almost picture it now. As Jesus is sitting opposite the treasury, he's observing the people give. You can almost hear people walking by, tossing their coins in, and especially the wealthy, because their coins are heavier and larger, they would drop them in, and you could almost hear the echo across the walls of the courtyard that their giving is now made known to others. Now, there's nothing wrong with being wealthy. That is not what Jesus is 
issue is here. Jesus is not making the issue of being an issue of over wealth or wealth over poverty. That's not what he's saying. Again, here we see Jesus is concerned with the heart. Jesus is more concerned when, with how we give than what we give. Now, what we give is important to God. Everything is important to God. But how we give is what is being focused here. What is sacrificial to one is not what is sacrificial to another. And then we see a poor widow come. A poor widow come and she brings these two small copper pennies. They're so small. And she goes and she drops them in. And unlike the coins, the large, heavy coins of the wealthy, that when they would be dropped in, that they would echo and everybody would know who gave what and whose coin was the loudest, no one could even hear her coins being deposited. They were that small. On the word poor in the original Hebrew means destitute, reduced to begging, helpless, lacking in anything. Guys, this is not a widow who doesn't have much. This is a widow who has nothing. She has absolutely nothing. And we can draw the reasonable conclusion that because she has, it is the reason why she has nothing is because these scribes had taken everything from her. In the hour of her husband's passing, they came and they took everything from her. Don't you think it's interesting to see the sequence of events here? Jesus condemns the scribes saying, you devour widows' houses. That is strong imagery. He's de they're devouring widows' houses. And now Jesus introduces us to one of those widows. He then calls his disciples to him and he says, Amin Lego, which means truly I say to you, this is vitally important. This lesson that Jesus is calling them to, he says, Amin Lego, don't miss this. I have to show you this. It is so critically important. His eyes were piercing through the crowds, through the people, through all of the loud noise. And he tells, and he sees this woman with compassionate eyes. He sees her come in her destitute state, dropping in these two small coins. And he says, disciples, come, look at this. Don't miss this. What she has just done is she has given more than all of everyone else combined. She's given more. The rich had given out of their abundance, out of their surplus, out of their excess. Their giving did not even, they didn't even feel the weight of their sacrifice. She gave everything. She gave all she had to live on. The thing we need to hold on to is that she came. She came because she has put in all of her trust in God. That she didn't abandon her faith in God or her trust in God because of the manipulation of these religious rulers. They did not stop her from her genuine obedience to God. What she experienced could have easily been an excuse to again abandon, stop going to the temple, but she didn't. Her priority was to seek God, his kingdom, and his righteousness. There is no doubt that she heard the very words of Jesus as he spoke on the Mount of Olives when he said, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor they reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more 
value than they. Likely she heard these words. This widow serves as an example of someone who's put their entire trust into God. Through her sacrificial giving that she would trust God for all of her needs and that she were, if, if she were going to eat that day, it was because God had directly provided that to her. That is the imagery we see here. Jesus is still sitting opposite the treasury. Jesus is still observing our giving. He values how we give. He sees what we give and why we give it. He sees how cheerfully we give. We cannot outgive Jesus. Lastly, Jesus exemplifies sacrificial giving. No one was as rich as Jesus in heaven, and no one was as poor as Jesus on earth. That in coming, he humbled himself and sacrificially gave his life that we might live. That he took on our sin at the cross and the wrath of his father out of love for you and for me. And we must give our all because Jesus has given us everything. What does our giving say about our trust in God? Does our giving reflect a life of surrender to the king? Do you wake up in the morning and bow to the one who has created heaven and earth and holds it in perfect access in its place? Do you repent of your sins that are ultimately not against anyone else but against the king who's sitting on the throne? Have we woken up to the fact that we do not make Jesus Lord of our life, that Jesus is Lord? Will you choose now to say that Jesus is Lord? Will you choose now to surrender all to him? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your word. God, we are, we are forever in gratitude for the sacrifice that you have made for us. That God, we only live because, because of you, because of your grace. God, we thank you for your word and your truth, which sharpens us. God, we ask and we pray that through your spirit that you may enlighten our hearts. That, God, you would sharpen our minds, that we would be transformed by your word. That we would realize that, God, you are Lord. You are sitting on the throne. No one else. That you rule and you reign. But, God, you also call us. You call us into your kingdom. And we can only come because you came and sacrificed everything for us. God, may we remember that this morning. May we remember that this week as we go into our daily routines. And Lord, may we surrender all to you, for you are worthy. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.